Welcome to the Murder and Mystery Podcast. I'm your host, Summer. And I'm your host, Lisa. So welcome to episode one. We will start with our murder and get straight into mystery. And so that's me, Summer. So I had a very funny story when I was researching my murder for today. I was actually staying in a hotel room in Oklahoma City. And I had spent most of the night you know, looking at different murders and all these things and researching and trying to figure out what I was going to do. Which is always a good idea, to be researching murder at a hotel. Yeah, when you're really? by yourself. Right? Yeah. <laughs> so I went to bed about 11, 11.30, and 3 o'clock in the morning, the fire alarm starts going off. <laughs> I'm on the fourth floor. So, of course, I get dressed, and I'm looking out the peephole, and I'm not seeing anybody. I walk out into the hall, there are two men standing in the hall, oh, no. the entire fourth floor with the fire alarms going off. <laughs> so that was a little bit scary to yeah, be researching yeah. murder. Researching and murder and having men standing in the hallway, yeah. But I quickly went back to my room and Locked the alarm quit going off. And <laughs> so, but we'll jump right into my murder today. Right. So the way that I wrote this is I just did kind of a timeline. And okay, cool. I'm just going to read it off of my timeline for All right, you guys. All right, let's do it. So, mine starts June 4th, 1963 in Santa Barbara, California. High school seniors Robert Domingos and Linda Edwards were using their senior ditch day to go to a beach near Gaviota State Park. Okay. When they didn't return that next day, Robert's dad went to the beach to try and find them. And what he found was... Their bodies oh. tied up in the remains of a shack. It looked like they had been bound. They'd been shot by a 22 caliber gun. Robert was shot 11 times and Linda was shot 9 times. Wow. And then their bodies were dragged to the shack and they been an attempt to make a fire to burn to down burn the shack. The shack down. Wow. But it didn't catch on fire. So they were just there. Right. Okay, so the shack didn't burn down. It didn't catch. So okay. that he found their bodies. Okay. So October 30th, 1966. So that okay. was 1963. In 1966 in Riverside, California, Sherry Bates, she was a student at Riverside City College. She left a note for her father saying, Dad went to the RCC library. The next morning, her vehicle was found in the library parking lot. And her body was found laying nearby between two houses in like an alleyway. Oh, okay. So Sherry had been stabbed several times and her throat was cut. Her purse was there. All of her belongings. So there not was a robbery. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Just her body was there. So all the contents were there. The police found a man's Timex watch and the print from a military boot with some hairs and dried blood in her hand. Oh, okay. November 1966, the local newspaper received a typewritten letter titled The Confession. The contents of the letter stated, Mrs. Bates was stupid. She went to the slaughter like a lamb. I am not sick. I'm insane. Okay. In April 1967, the local newspaper, the police, and Sherry's father, Joseph Bates, received identical letters stating, Bates had to die. There will be more. The notes were signed with a symbol which resembled the letter Z. Okay. Okay. So, dude definitely doing his homework then. Right. 
So then December 20th, 1968. So there's like a lot of time between these. He's gapping in between these. Yeah, definitely. This is in Benicia, California. I hope I said that right. Betty Jensen, age 16, was picked up by David Faraday. He was age 17 for their first official date. David promised Betty's parents that he would have her home by 11. So shortly after 11, David's car was seen parked at a local lover's lane spot on Lake Herman Road. Moments later, another driver reported seeing two bodies on the side of the road. Police responded to the call and found Betty had been shot five times in her back. David had a bullet wound in his head, but he was still breathing. He died shortly after being found. Bullet holes were found in the car roof and the back window, and it seemed that the killer was trying to get them out of the car, like shooting at the car to get them out. Okay, yeah. And ballistic evidence indicated that the two had been shot with a twenty-two caliber gun. Okay. So... July 4th, 1969, in Vallejo, California, Darlene Farron, 22, picked up her friend Michael Magoo and drove to a parking lot of the Blue Rock Springs Park. It was around midnight, and they pulled into the parking lot, and a car pulled into the parking lot after them and kind of turned around and left. A few minutes later, that car returned back. Then the driver of the car pulled up behind them and shined a bright light into the car. The driver of the car then fired a 9mm handgun into the car. Darlene was hit several times and Michael was hit in the jaw, shoulder, and leg. Darlene died on the way to the hospital, but Michael actually survived. Oh, wow. Okay. At 12.40 a.m., a call, which was later traced to a payphone at a gas station, came into the Vallejo police station and the caller stated I wanted to report a murder if you will go to one mile east on Columbus Parkway you'll find kids in a brown car they were shot with a nine millimeter Luger I also killed those kids last year goodbye okay so he's getting bold not just letters he's letting his voice be known and he's starting to tie together tie them together confess to more than just one yeah. Even though there's different weapons, without his confession, they probably would never be able to connect them. Right. right. Yeah. So on July 31st in 1969, a letter was sent to the Vallejo Times Herald. The writer claimed responsibility for the two shootings and provided details of the victims' weapons, the weapons that, and the number of shots that were fired, and the brand of am- ammunition. Wow. A letter was also sent to the San Francisco Chronicle and the San Francisco Examiner on July 31st, 1969, that contained code ciphers. The writer demanded that the letter and the ciphers be published by August 1st, or the writer would kill again. Okay. One of the ciphers was decoded and read, I like killing people because it's so much fun. And this is the only one that has actually been decoded. All the others that were sent haven't been. Wow. So, August 4th, 1969, so this is really starting to pick up. Yeah, you know, there was like, a little bit, yeah, there was like a few and, years, and then there was a year, and now we're talking months. And it doesn't seem like he's, he's not as intimate with his victims as he was in the beginning, because he knew that girl's address, he knew, you know. Right. You know, he was contacting family, and now this is just now free just, for all. Like, yeah. yeah, and it's just okay. going to the police station and, and to the yeah. newspapers. 
So September 27, 1969, Lake Berisa in Napa, California, and Brian Hartnell, who's 20, and Cecilia Shepard, who's 22, were on the lake shore, and they were approached by a man wearing a hooded costume with a white cross circle. Like the scope of a gun, like the oh, crosshairs. Okay. Yeah, like crosshairs. So it was like on a it. circle with the crosshairs. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Weird. It was <laughs> stitched over the chest and he was holding a gun. The man told the couple he had just escaped from prison and needed money and a car to escape to Mexico. He bound their wrist with pre cut links of plastic clothesline, so he came he completely came prepared. prepared. He was totally prepared. Okay. Uh, the man suddenly plunged a large knife. So he was carrying a gun, but he used he a knife, knife. Okay. into Brian's back six times, then stabbed Cecilia ten times as she fought for her life. The wow. man then walked to Brian's car, used a pen, and drawed the cross circle, the, the, the crosshairs, crosshairs, on the door, and the dates and times and locations of the previous attacks. Okay, so he's totally tying himself into this, even though yeah. he's changing symbols and everything mm-hmm. else. Okay. So he had September 27th, 69, the time 6.30, and the notion by knife. Okay. At 7.40, a man called the Napa police station to report a double murder. The caller described Brian's car, directed the police to the scene of the crime, and stated, I'm the one who did it. Oh. Police traced the call to a phone at a car wash. Cecilia died two days later, but Brian survived, and that's oh, why they okay. have all the information. They have information about him, yeah. Yeah. Wow. So now we're October 11th, 1969 in San Francisco, California. Paul Stein is a 28-year-old husband and student who worked as a cab driver in San Francisco. On the night of October 11th, he picked up a fare headed to Presidio Heights. The cab stopped at the fare's destination at the intersection of Washington and Cherry Streets, and the man in the back seat shot him in the back of the head and removed a piece of shirt before getting out of the cab and walking away. So witnesses saw the murder and called the police. The suspect was described as a white man between the ages of 25 and 30, wearing glasses and having a crew cut. Okay. This was reported to the police. All right. We have a description. Yes. Okay. But the dispatcher mistakenly said that it was a black man. Oh, no. So when police got there... They actually passed the suspect. Oh, wow. They later... They didn't know that they were mm-hmm. looking for a white male. Wow. Yeah. So wow. they passed this person. And he just got away. Yeah. He just walked away. Wow. Yeah. And they didn't know it because of the dispatchers. Yeah. And then later when they heard the description, they were... They realized... Well, we actually oh saw gosh. the person. Can you imagine the, like, oh, man, I screwed up feeling that they both had? Right. Like, we could have got this guy after all these murders. We could have got this guy right there and he walked past yeah. us. You know, they probably looked him in the eye and, like, yeah. saw who he was. Wow. But we're looking for a black man. We're looking for a black man, so you're not a suspect. Go on about your way. Like, right. black man. So then October 13th, 1969, the San Francisco Chronicle receives a letter stating, I am the murderer of the taxi driver. Okay. And it was signed Zodiac. Ah, so he's named himself so officially. he officially named himself okay. Zodiac Killer. The letter also contained a bloodstained piece of Stein's shirt. The letter also indicated that the Zodiac did not leave any fingerprints in the cab and that the police sketch was inaccurate because he was wearing a disguise. 
Okay. So this is where we get the official police sketch that they show on all the all shows the and stuff, stuff. All of the things you hear about. Okay. But he says that's not accurate because he was wearing a disguise. Okay. Probably wearing glasses, you or know, something. like yeah. Clark Kent. Cowboy hat or <laughs> <laughs> baseball hat because that gives everything. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So the writer mocked the police for failing to catch him and threatened to shoot children on a school bus. Oh, man. So we're really going out of control yeah. now. We're just going off. November 8th, 1969, a letter was sent to the San Francisco Chronicle containing another piece of Stein shirt. So they know that it's from the it's person him. who yeah. killed him. It's legitimate. A greeting card and another cipher containing 340 symbols. The writer also added December, July, August, September, October equals seven. A possible reference to more unidentified victims. victims. Wow. November 9th, 1969, so a day later, the San Francisco Chronicle receives a seven-page letter from the Zodiac stating he had been stopped by the police near a crime scene, but was let go. Oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. And that was at Stein's. Yeah, he's full on mocking. He also included a recipe and a diagram for a bomb. Okay. So we've been possibly getting more out of control. Yeah. Or at least trying to cause fear. The shooting of the kids, the bomb threats. He's trying to incite riot. Yeah. Like he's trying, yeah. And December 20th, 1969. So we went almost, you know, a little over a month there. Yeah. A letter was addressed to attorney Melvin Belly, B-E-L-L-I. Okay. um, In which the writer stated he feared he would kill again and ask for help to stop him. This lawyer, he believes that the letter came from the Zodiac. Okay, yeah. I mean, that would kind of be on par with his other letters, you know. So, March 22nd, 1970, in Modesto, California, Kathleen Johnson put her infant daughter into her car and left their San Bernardino home, headed to Petaluma, California, to see her sick mom. Kathleen had an infant daughter, and she was also seven months pregnant at the time. They were on Highway 132 near Modesto, when a car pulled up alongside her and motioned that she should pull over, like something was wrong. So she pulls over, and the man behind the wheel tells her that her back tire was loose and offers to help. But instead of helping, what he does is he loosens the lug nuts. So he gets in his car and starts to drive off, and she gets in, and as she starts to drive off, her wheel comes off. Oh, man. So he comes back and offers to drive her to a service station to take care of it. So she gets in the car with her daughter in her arms. I mean, this is the 70s. Yeah, this is a different era. So she gets in the car, and as he starts to go, he he starts making veiled attempts to hurt her and the baby. Oh, no. So she jumps out of the car with her daughter in her arms while the car's moving. Wow. And a passing car picks her up and took her to the police station, and that's where she identified the police sketch of the Zodiac. And okay, said, this so is the guy. This is the guy. This is the guy. So months later, another letter from the Zodiac mentions an interesting ride with a woman and her baby. Oh, so he's just, yeah, completely confessing. So now April 20th, 1970, so a month later, the Chronicle receives a letter. Um, this is the San Francisco Chronicle. Receives a letter containing a 13-symbol cipher. And a diagram of a bomb designed to kill children on a school bus. Okay. 
Um, the letter was also denied being responsible for a police bombing at a police station oh, okay. that actually killed a police officer. But he said he wasn't responsible, he wasn't responsible for, that. for that one. But he's going to kill school children. Okay, yeah. April 28, 1970, the San Francisco Chronicle received a greeting card that demanded publication of the Zodiac's bomb threats and that people in the San Francisco area wear a button with the Zodiac's crosshair symbol. Okay. June 26, 1970. So we kind of went a, a little couple bit. months. Yeah, a couple months. Um, the Zodiac sent a letter with a map of the San Francisco Bay Area with a crosshair symbol over Mount Diablo and a code to locate a bomb. He claimed he would kill again. And July 24th, 1970, the San Francisco Chronicle received another letter claiming responsibility for the kidnapping of Kathleen and her baby and complained that people weren't wearing his button. So he's desperately searching for attention. Right. And when he's not getting it, he's trying to escalate his threats <coughs> further and further, being frustrated that people aren't paying attention to him. Right. Possibly that's why he's going longer stretches of time trying to figure out what will grab their attention, what will, like, pull them in and make them focus on him again. Uh-huh. You know. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is all. Attention Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> like, what he did wasn't horrible enough. Yeah. Right? Now everybody needs now, to wear my buttons. And... Wear my buttons and, yeah, follow me. So July 26, 1970, a five-page letter was received by the San Francisco Chronicle. And this was describing the way that the Zodiac had tortured his victims. The writer also quoted Gilbert and Sullivan's musical, The Mikado, and explained that Mount Diablo code concerned geometric angles known as radians. Okay. So it was a little more technical. Technical. Getting a little out there a little bit. On September 6, 1970... In Lake Tahoe, Donna Lass was a 25-year-old nurse working in the San Francisco at Letterman General Hospital on the Presidio military base. Okay. Um, this was right near the spot where Paul Stein oh, was okay. shot. The cab okay. driver the cab was driver. shot. Okay. Okay, so she moved to Lake Tahoe. So she had been in that area right near that and then she moved to Lake Tahoe and found work as a nurse at the Sahara Hotel and Casino. Okay. On September 6, 1970, Donna made an entry in her work log about 1.50 in the morning. And then she just disappeared. Oh. Her car was found abandoned near her apartment. A male called her employer and her apartment manager stating she had to leave town for a family emergency. Okay. Donna's weird. family denied there was a family emergency. Yeah. And the man was never heard from again. He didn't make any more calls. Huh. So not his usual MO. Right. Her body was never found, but authorities believe that she was abducted and killed, and she was placed on the list of possible Zodiac killings. Okay. Yeah. So October 5th, 1970, a postcard was received with clippings from a comic Smidgen's reading the pace isn't any slower in fact it's just one big oh okay october 27th 1970 the san francisco chronicle receives a halloween card it was sent to paul avery who was a reporter there and his name was misspelled instead of avery it was spelled averly with an oh, l okay so and then 
4-T was written, and it was interpreted to indicate the possibility of a 14th victim. Oh, yeah. That would make sense. So then we skip all the way to March 13, 1971. Okay. Uh, the Los Angeles Times received a letter that suggested that the Zodiac was responsible for the death of Sherry Bates all the way back in 1966. Okay. Remember, that was the one that, at the library. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so re-back, he's backtracking. Yeah. Okay. And taking responsibility <laughs> all the way back. All the way back. Okay. March 22nd, 1971, another postcard was sent to Paul Avery, and his name again was misspelled to say Averly. Um, the card stated, Sought Victim 12 and was believed to refer to Donna Lass's disappearance in Lake Tahoe. Oh, okay. August 1st, 1973. And this is this time we're in Albany, New York. Oh, okay. So all the way across the country. Coasts. Okay. The Albany Times Union newspaper received a letter with the crosshair symbol on the envelope, and the letter read, I'm not dead or in the hospital. I'm alive and well, and I'm going to start killing again. Below is the name and location of my next victim, but you better hurry because I am going to kill her on August 10th. Okay. At 5 o'clock when the shift changes. Albany is a nice town. So he's saying, I'm in New York. Yeah. So So below that was another cipher. Oh, okay. So all of the information, the name and the person was in the cipher. So the FBI believed they had decoded the cipher and stuff and found a name but nobody was murdered on that oh so do they believe that that was actually him even though it was across the coast and yeah um verified no they couldn't verify it they couldn't confirm it but they couldn't eliminate it okay so it's like gray area yeah it could be they put it in with this but they're not sure yeah so january 24th 1974 we're back in san francisco okay the writer alluded to a possible suicide using quotes from Gilbert and Sullivan's musical The Mikado and also included a statement, Me 37 SFPD 0. Oh, so he's saying so, 37 Yeah, and you haven't caught me. We're, we went from 17 to, to 37. 37. Well, and that kind of matches up with that whole, I'm not dead, I'm not in the hospital, he's probably yeah. been killing that whole time. And just not announcing himself. Right. Okay. February 14th, 1974, uh, the San Francisco Chronicle received a postcard that referred to a Symbionese Liberation Army, which is a militant group that had kidnapped Patty Hearst. Okay. And the card was signed a friend. And again, this is one that hasn't been confirmed, but it hasn't been been denied. denied. Okay. So May 8th, 1974, a card was sent to the San Francisco Chronicle that complained about the glorification of violence in the ads for the movie The Badlands and was signed a citizen. Okay. And I'm not sure how the articles I read and stuff that included these, they Mm. didn't really explain very well how they put these together with the Zodiac. But I think because they were coming at the same time and the wording was similar. Similar, yeah. And stuff, they lumped them all in. In together. And then July 8, 1974, a letter was received by the San Francisco Chronicle complaining about a columnist that he called Count Marco Spinelli, stating that he had a serious psychological disorder 
and should be sent back in the hellhole. And the letter was signed, The Red Phantom. Okay. Very strange. So, though the last confirmed correspondence was in 1971, the rest of the letters were similar enough to previous Zodiacs that they kind of lumped them all together. But never really could. Right. And there were some things um, where the Zodiac in some other letters had alluded to uh, the Red Phantom, which was in some show, some movie oh, yeah. that he liked yeah. and stuff. So that's how so they kind of maybe they tied them. it in together. Yeah. Definitely somebody that was delusional enough to take on these personas of people. Right. A citizen, a, you know... The Red Phantom, the Zodiac, he's playing parts, yeah. you know. Yeah, roles. almost like yeah, parts. playing roles. Huh. Yeah, like a play well, and or he something. Like, yeah, it's like, and he, he referred to that musical. Mm-hmm. So, like, there has to be some sort of, you know, correlation there between the, the plays right. and the, the comics and the playing a role, maybe. Mm-hmm. Wearing disguises. He said he was right. wearing disguises. So, maybe, you know. That was Delusional it. enough to think that he was, like, in a movie, maybe. Or yeah. Like, you know. Well, and there was another letter in one of the letters. It was he said that he was going to stop contacting the press, yeah, and stuff, and stop announcing his murders. Well, I and, mean, it didn't get him a whole lot of places. I mean, right. eventually, that I mean, I've read a little bit about it, and eventually, for safety, they decided to stop publishing his stuff yeah. and stop giving him the attention. Right. I mean, much like now, they don't glorify killers and things on the news. They try to mm-hmm. diminish their profile if they can. Yeah. You know. But, uh, Until idiots like us do podcasts about right, it. Right. <laughs> and we bring it back to light, you know. But, uh, but yeah, like, I mean, it didn't get him anywhere. Like, yeah. nobody glorified him. Nobody, you know, was... I mean, I'm sure they were terrified. Uh-huh. Especially in that area of California, you know. But it wasn't a nationwide right. panic. Like, he was trying... I feel like he was trying to get there. Like... Yeah. And it know. wasn't until later that it really became a big thing. A big the Zodiac. Thing. The Zodiac, right? Yeah. Now, do you know the years that the Son of Sam was going on in New York? No, I haven't looked at that. Let me see if so I can find it. That would be interesting. Because I want to say that it's, like, in the same time period. Like... Well, uh, and he said... Like I said, he said that... He would kill other people, and but that it would look like suicides and accidents. An accident, so it wouldn't be directly tied to him. Okay, so Son of Sam was nineteen seventy six. Okay, so it, well, it was nineteen seventy seven ish. And the last verified contact with the Zodiac was like nineteen seventy four. Nineteen seventy four. So, it, so you know, you, it, I mean, that had to be a horrible time to be alive. Yeah, there wasn't a lot of forensics. There wasn't a lot of things that could catch these people in a way to. I mean, they right. walked right past him. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he <laughs> killed this person. There were witnesses that saw him kill this person. And they just walked right past it. Right. Like, it was terrifying to live in those days. Like, and if they would have caught him then, then later they wouldn't have that that said 37 victims. Exactly. And then you always have to have that in your mind. Like, yeah. police always have to have that in your mind. Okay, did we potentially kill 20-something other people? Yeah, exactly. You know, like, or even more, you know, like... And they've never, they've never got any closer to finding anything no. about him. Well, they have some people that they think, um, but I'll get to that. Okay, sure. So, some of the theories um, is that the Zodiac had a military background because his ciphers contained symbols that were the same as nautical flags, um, symbols from Booze Balls, which was from Booze Allen and Hamilton, 
a company that did encryptions for the government. Oh, okay. And at that time, they hadn't been released to the public. Oh, okay. They were released in the early 70s, but in the late 60s, when these ciphers started... The public had they, no knowledge of right. them. Right. Right. Okay. So, um... Had to be somebody that had some access to that. Exactly. Military, yeah. So, the FBI National Center for Analysis of Violent Crimes reported that serial killers may stop killing if something changes in their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they propose that almost getting caught for Stein's murder maybe was one of those things Turning that... Point. Yeah, it scared him. It scared him. And stuff. And since he was scared, he went to taunting the public and the police and making Hiding this big... And, and making yeah. a big deal about it. Yeah. Yeah, just trying to scare people when rather than actually. When he couldn't do killing. actions, when he, didn't, when he <clears throat> didn't feel comfortable enough to commit murders... He made big shows of right. his letters and his the bomb threats and the, the things. Yeah. Trying to compensate for the fact that he was too scared to get out there and right. kill again. But making it seem like he was. Yeah, making it seem like a big deal. A psychology professor that wrote a book on the Zodiac proposed that he may have been recovering from dissociative disorder or multiple personalities. And that ended the, his need to kill. Yeah. Um, I don't like that one because it really doesn't fit. Yeah. I mean, I, I could maybe see, like, the dissociative identity disorder just because of the different names and stuff he was using. Yeah. But, like, seeking treatment for that kind of stuff just doesn't make you stop killing. Like, right. And you know. At, there's such a small percentage of uh, people who actually truly have that disorder that it just, it doesn't make any sense. Well, and even if those people have that disorder, the likelihood that they're going to kill and be serial killers is not very likely right. either. Yeah. So another theory is that he was institutionalized or incarcerated uh, for other crimes, and that had caused him to stop. Yeah. But then that goes back to that letter that I'm not I, in the hospital. But what if he was? What if yeah. he was trying to make a big show again? He had been in a hospital or he had, you know what I mean? Yeah, something had yeah. happened. Because I'm sure nobody really thought, oh, he's probably been institutionalized, you know, and that's why he's not killing again. So putting that in somebody's head or trying to do the opposite kind of makes it seem like maybe he was. Yeah. So um, there's also that he could have continued killing. And like his letter said, he just wasn't, he wasn't going, going to, to announce, announce it. it. Yeah. So he just continued and had all of these building up, but he wasn't doing anything. So, if it's true and he's not just, like, BSing, probably one of the biggest serial killers Could in the been. United States, you know. Yeah. Without just announcing, and if he did make it look like accidents or whatever, you know. He would have to be a criminal mastermind. Yeah. Right? So, there were more than 2,500 suspects. And these included Ted Kaczynski, the Unabomber. The Unabomber, yeah. Um, but no fingerprints or DNA found... Um, has matched See, anybody's. And that could lead back to the, uh, I mean, because the only DNA they had was uh, the girl that had it in her hand, right? No, they aren't even using that. They're using what they found in the taxi cab. Oh, okay. So because they believe there was that. Hairs and, yeah. and transference, stuff like that. So in 2018, uh, the authorities did announce that they're going to submit the DNA to a bigger database and Kind of similar to how they caught the Golden State Killer. 23 and Me. Yeah. Yeah. Use those genealogical websites. Genealogicals. Yep. So then I have some information on suspects. Okay, cool. Some actual suspects. Yeah. Actual they're looking at. Yeah. 
So there are two that are really good and really promising, uh-huh. and then others that have been decided weren't yeah. possible. But the first one is Lawrence Kane. He worked in the same hotel that as Donna Lass, okay. who disappeared in 1970, mm-hmm. and she may have been a victim. May they have, weren't yeah. sure. Uh, he served in the Navy Reserves, and he could have learned okay. coding there. That checks a box. And yeah. you remember the nautical the flags. The nautical flags, yeah, that definitely checks a box. Uh, He was in a car accident in 1962 and received a brain injury Uh that could have compromised his impulse control, which could have led to him starting to kill at that time. Uh, He was also arrested for peeping in 1961 and prowling in 1968. Okay. A 1980s retired police detective investigating the case claimed Kane's name was embedded in one of the ciphers. And that Darlene Farron's sister identified a photo of Kane as the man that had bothered Darlene at the restaurant. Oh. Um, she was one of them that was killed at the lake. Yeah. A San Francisco police officer who saw the Zodiac moments after Stein's murder uh-huh. said Kane's photo was closer than any of the others okay. um, to that likeness. And Kathleen Johns also identified a photo of Kane as her abductor. Okay. So that the so other like really the good promising. one, yeah, there was one more that was really promising, Ross Sullivan. Okay. Ross worked at the Riverside City College Library where Sherry Jo Bates was last seen, the okay. one that was killed at the yeah. library. And although that murder isn't officially a Zodiac killing, there were a lot of similarities to the murder. Uh-huh. And Ross's co-workers said that they he made them uncomfortable. And that he actually disappeared for several days after Sherry's murder. Okay. He resembles the Zodiac sketch. He was hospitalized several times for bipolar disorder and schizophrenia. Okay. He moved to Northern California in 1967. So he was within the area. area. Yeah. Um, He often worked in a wearing an army jacket and military style boots that left similar footprints to those at the Lake Berryessa stampings. Oh, okay. So, he also looked a lot like that sketch. So, he was looking good as a suspect, too. Right. Yeah. And neither of them have been ruled out. Yeah. But we have Arthur Lee Allen. Um, he was questioned in 1969 and again in 1971 after a friend told authorities that he had talked about wanting to kill people and wanting to secure a flashlight to a firearm, like the Zodiac oh, did. Oh, like they did. Yeah, like yeah. he did in the spotlight. Um, he was a prime suspect in a book by Robert Grace Smith um, in 2007. It's the one that the 2007 movie oh, the was based on. Yeah, yeah. great movie. Um, Arthur wore a Zodiac brand watch. Okay. Um, and owned the same caliber gun used in the Zodiac shootings. And had bloody knives in his car, which he claimed were used for killing chickens. <laughs> he was in the Navy, but was unhonorably discharged. He was fired from his teaching job due to sexual misconduct allegations. He was ambidextrous, which some theories say could have disguised his handwriting. Oh, uh, yeah, that's true. He was also investigated again in 1991 after an informant said he boasted about killing a cab driver and Michael Magoo 
who survived the Valley Ho attacks, uh, yeah. identified a picture of Arthur as the shooter. Okay. So he looked really good, but he was ruled out because he didn't match witness descriptions of the Zodiac, those yeah, from yeah, the yeah. cab shooting. Um, his fingerprints didn't match those in Paul Stein's cab, and his palm print didn't match a print found on his Zodiac letter. Okay, yeah. Uh, partial DNA found on the envelope didn't match Stein's when it was tested in 2002, and two searches were conducted in Arthur's home, but no incriminating evidence was found. Oh, okay. Handwriting samples using both his right and left hand didn't match. So he and, was pretty much ruled out completely. Right. They did their job. And like so he died in 1992. Okay. Then there was Richard Marshall. Uh, he lived in Riverside in 1966 and moved to San Francisco. So he was in the same areas. Those who knew him reported that he was peculiar. And he talked about finding something much more exciting than sex. Okay. He liked the old movies, including The Red Phantom. And he lived in a basement apartment, which the Zodiac cited in a letter. He owned a typewriter and a teletype, similar to those used by the Zodiac. And he also liked to use felt tip pens and odd-sized papers like the Zodiac oh, did. Okay. So he was ruled out because although there were a lot of similarities, he denied being the Zodiac. Okay. And Napa County Sheriff Ken Narlo stated... Marshall makes good reading, but not a very good suspect in my estimation. Yeah. Well, so, because the sheriff said he didn't he make a good a suspect, suspect. He and he suspect. denied, I'm not the Zodiac. <laughs> I'm so, not he's it. ruled out. He died in a nursing home in 2008. I mean, I think that if you would have caught the Zodiac and said, hey, are you the Zodiac? He probably would have told you to your face, yes, I am. He very well might have. You know, just the personality, just the, <laughs> you know... So then we have Richard Gajkowski. He edited a counterculture newspaper in San Francisco. And a former co-worker of his wrote letters to law enforcement accusing him of being the Zodiac and claiming that he had invited him to engage in violent acts together. The co-worker appeared on History Channel's Mystery Quest in 2009 under the pseudonym Goldcatcher and provided an audio recording which a police wow. dispatcher who spoke to the Zodiac said she thought might be the same voice. Wow. Of course, this was 2009. Yes. You know, a long and... time to be trying to remember <laughs> right. somebody's voice. I mean, exactly. <laughs> you know. Researcher Tom Vaught also noticed that Gakowski resembled the Zodiac and that some of the ciphers might have said Geik oh, in it. Oh, okay, yeah. So, Gajkowski was ruled out because his accuser, Goldcatcher, was known for conspiracy theories and oh. little credibility. Yeah. Um, when interviewed by Napa police, he claimed to have been out of the country at the time of the 1968 murders on Lake Herman Road, but he lost his passport, so he couldn't prove he was out oh. of the country. Okay, that's convenient. <laughs> um, San Francisco and Napa police deny requests to compare DNA samples to the Zodiac. So, oh. he said he was out of the country. He couldn't prove it. They wouldn't they test wouldn't his test DNA. Huh. So, he died in 2004. We have Earl Van Best Jr. This guy was accused by his son, Gary Stewart, who wrote a book called The Most Dangerous Animal of All in 2014. And Stewart said that his dad 
Earl resembled the composite sketch of the Zodiac, lived in California at the same time as the killings. Now, I do want to say that at that time, a white man with a crew cut and black glasses it's was pretty, pretty normal. Much, pretty much normal back then, right? right? Yeah. Um, My dad probably could have resembled that if he lived right? in California, right? Yeah. So he was interested in ciphers. He knew a Satanist and a Manson family member. Okay. So Earl Best was involved in this involved crowd. Involved in it, yeah. And he liked Gilbert and Sullivan. Well, and you know the Zodiac yeah. letter the Zodiac, did. Yeah. But I mean, who you know you can't really rule that out. There's a lot of people that might. Right. You know, Stewart claimed to have found Best's initials in a Zodiac cipher, and a document examiner said that the handwriting on Best's marriage certificate matched the Zodiac. He also served time in prison for raping Stewart's mother and may have held a grudge against the reporter who wrote a series of articles about him. Huh. So he was ruled out because the scar and the fingerprint that Stewart claimed matched the fingerprint found in Stein's cab only matched when the scar was reversed. Oh, that's a problem. <laughs> uh, yeah. The handwriting on the marriage certificate was actually that of the minister. <laughs> And (laughs) the method used to crack the cipher was questionable. Earl may have resembled the Zodiac sketch, but again, you know, horn-rimmed glasses and a crew cut is not that unique. Then we have Jack Terrence. Uh, Dennis Kaufman claimed that his late stepfather, Jack, was the Zodiac. So again, we've got a person claiming his father was. Yeah. He claimed that he looked like the sketches, and he had incriminating evidence, including a roll of film with possible victims and a hooded costume like the one the Zodiac wore in the Lake Berryessa murders. And a document examiner in a 2007 Discovery Channel documentary claimed Jack's handwriting matched that of the Zodiac. Okay. So Jack was ruled out because law enforcement dismissed the evidence as nonsense. He claimed a picture with a blob of color was Elizabeth Short, the Black Dahlia. Oh. <laughs> um, the hooded costume was much cruder than that was that was described by the victims. And the document examiner's credibility was challenged when she claimed Jack also wrote the John Bonet Ramsey ransom oh, no. note. So he died in two thousand six. This guy was doing a bunch of stuff. Yeah, he killed Elizabeth Short. He, he was the Zodiac. Short, he killed like thirty-seven people in he, Cal, you know California and around that area. He also killed he, John Bonet. He also stole John Bonet, right? Um. <laughs> so Donald Lee Bujok, B-U-J-O-K, Bujok. Researcher Kevin Brooks accused Donald of being the Zodiac and produced circumstantial information to implicate him. Brian Hartnell, who survived the Lake Berryessa attacks, said the Zodiac told them that he had just escaped a prison in Montana. Donald had been released from Montana's Deer Lodge Penitentiary after serving 11 years of a life sentence for killing a sheriff's deputy. He was released in 1968. Yeah, but released isn't escaped. Right. Right. Donald told federal inmates that he wanted to kill people to make them slaves in his afterlife, which was also mentioned in a Zodiac letter. Uh, Brooks claimed the Halloween card sent to reporter Paul Avery depicted the harsh conditions of the prison, and the word boo was a reference to Boojack. Oh, 
Oh, okay. Okay, so Brooks claimed, again, that Bujok was discharged from the Army for medical reasons, so he has that tie. Okay. And alleged that markings on some of the Zodiac envelopes spelled out, Zodiac is a veteran with 4F. He also alleged that the signature cross-circle symbol, the crosshairs, uh-huh. um, of the Zodiac was inspired by a helicopter landing pad at Fort Ord, California, where Bujok was stationed. Okay. So he was ruled out because his fingerprints didn't match those believed to be the Zodiacs. A park ranger at Lake Berryessa claimed the surviving victim, Brian Hartnell, said the prison was in Colorado, not Montana. Oh, Bujok was released from prison just three days before the first confirmed Zodiac killing. And researchers think he would not have been able to travel across three states that quickly. No, not at that time. Bujok was incarcerated during the Bates murder and other early killings that might have been the Zodiacs. So not looking good. Right. So, and he died in 1993. Yeah. Okay, so then the last person we have is Guy Ward Hendrickson. And this guy, he was recently, in 2009, actually, accused by his daughter, Deborah Pettis. Okay. She said that they lived in the area mm-hmm. where the Zodiac killings had occurred. Uh, she said that she had gone with her father for at least two of those killings. She also produced... So she a, was saying she was there? Yes. She said she was there as a child that okay. she was taken. Okay. Uh, she cl- claimed that she, a pair of glasses that her dad had were Paul Stein's, the cab driver. She also said that they had lived in Santa Ana, California in the 60s and 70s. But there was no evidence found and a daughter from his previous marriage denied that he was a Zodiac. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that is what I've got. We still have this serial killer that nobody's figured out who he is and so many people want to jump up and say hey i think it's this person i think it's this person you know we may never know maybe we should jump on the bandwagon and say dad was the serial killer killer. he wasn't living in california California and he didn't know ciphers but i bet it was him yeah you know (laughs) he was also what a teenager maybe yeah yeah (laughs) okay so that that's what I've got on the Zodiac. It was fun. It was fun. It was super fun. And like like we were just talking about, like, who knows if they're ever going, in our lifetime, ever going to find, you know. Right. If they're not able to decode some of the ciphers, if they're not sensical, if they can't make sense of it, then, you know. Yeah. Maybe he got away with 37 murders. Maybe, maybe he only committed a few. Who knows? Maybe he didn't commit any. And he maybe just took, he's making it up. Or, you know, if he was a peeping yeah. Tom, maybe he witnessed all of these murders and claimed right. them as his own. I can't decide if he was a genius or if he was just really lucky. Mentally ill, very key. Mentally ill and very lucky. Right. You know, could be. Um, I want to talk about the Myra Murray case. This has befuddled me for years um, simply because it's recent, 2004. Mm -hmm. Still a ways away, but still pretty recent for somebody to disappear off the face of the earth. There's no leads. There's nothing. And so, I mean, back in the day, that could happen, you know. But now, how did somebody just disappear? it's impossible. It's, like, so impossible for somebody to just up and disappear. You can't just take off anymore, you know. Somebody's going to find you. There's going to be leads here. 
And you can go down endless rabbit holes with this. You can theorize literally until you just can't take it anymore. Aliens did it. Aliens did it. That's one of the, that is a big thing that they, I mean, that is a thing. Sorry, I'm jumping ahead of you. (laughs) She was 21 years old in 2004, and she disappeared in New Hampshire off of Route uh, 112. She suddenly disappeared. This was within 10 minutes of somebody seeing her. She was completely gone, vanished. Aliens, I'm telling you. Aliens, man. Um, (laughs) This was in February of 2004. She was a nursing student at the University of Massachusetts, and she was also a campus security guard, so you would think somebody that could hold her own, mm-hmm. right? She had also attended West Point, so... Okay, so she was trained. Broad. She was tough broad. She was trained a little bit. Yeah. She did get kicked out because she stole some makeup from a commissary there on campus. So she was a badass that liked she makeup. A, exactly. <laughs> she was a badass chick. Um... She uh, had been arrested about three months before for an incident using stolen credit cards to pay for fast food. So, petty little things here and Mm -hmm. there. Not necessarily always on the straight and narrow. Right. You know. The charges was dismissed and she was put on probation because it was her first offense. Okay. Her family contends that this has nothing to do with her disappearance, that it was circumstantial... It just happened. This was not a reason for her to run away. This was not a reason for anybody to have a grudge against her. Well, she was put on probation, probation. and she bought some fast food. Fast with food. It wasn't card. anything. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. anything big. It was petty little stuff. This was February 9th when she disappeared. On February 8th, they found that she had searched for directions to Burlington, Vermont. These directions to Burlington were actually found in her car. So she had taken the time to print them off, uh-huh. and she had them in her car. No one knows why she was going to Burlington, Vermont. There's no answer. Like, her family doesn't have an answer. None of her friends have an answer. So nobody knew that she was planning to go. Nobody knows that she's planning to go. Yes. So the day of the accident, she sent an email that morning to all of her teachers saying that there had been a death in her family and that she was going to be away from campus. Mm -hmm. Um, Her family says that there were no deaths. Okay. So, now here comes the conspiracy theories. Did she write the email? Did somebody else write the email? Right. You know, was she running away? Was she planning on hiding herself? What was the situation with the lie that she told to not alert people that she was going to be away? to give her a few days there. Exactly, at least. And so, we know that before she left, she stopped and withdrew money from an ATM. There is video of her withdrawing money from an ATM. She completely... Cleared her account, which was a whopping 260 bucks. So not much. Not much. She was a college kid. Mm-hmm. Her dad had supposedly come up a few days prior to that with $4,000 and was looking for her vehicle. Mm-hmm. Looking for her vehicle because a couple weeks before that, she had her dad's car and was driving drunk and crashed into a guardrail and okay. messed up his car. I'm not sure the car that she was driving, where she had gotten it from. They said that it was hers, so mm-hmm. I'm assuming... Maybe they bought a car, I guess. Nobody can confirm that, and her dad doesn't confirm that they actually bought this vehicle. Right. So, the family is just very, like, nothing weird happened. This, we don't know what happened. Somebody took her. You know, she would never do this to us, kind of thing. So, she withdrew this money, and we know that she went in, and she bought several bottles of alcohol Mm -hmm. and a box of wine. Okay. The alcohol was not found, but the box of wine was found in her car when the police went to search. Okay. Along with a packed backpack of almost all her possessions from her dorm room. So all of her stuff and a box of wine. All of her stuff, a box of wine. She withdrew money and had directions 
to Burlington, Vermont. But she didn't get there. But she, did she didn't not have get there. a lot of money. She was in New Hampshire when she had the wreck, so she did not get to Vermont like she was hoping. And she left her car with just some and alcohol. And she left. She left her car with nothing there. She took nothing with her. And so they also know that she made a call to a hotel in Stowe, Vermont, but did not make a reservation. Okay. And she also called about information about a condo that her parents used to rent in Bartlett, Vermont. Where she had stayed for years and years. Like, it was so like she a timeshare. She was looking around for a place to land, okay. kind of. So, I, she was looking like. to be in that area. Yes. Okay. And um, her father maintains that that was the reason that she was on Route 112, was mm-hmm. because she was heading towards this place that she was familiar with. Okay. He wasn't sure why, but that's where she was going. She knew the town very well. She would be comfortable there. Okay. So, like he said, they had visited multiple times the whole time she was growing up. So it was it was a comfortable place for mm-hmm. her. So later the evening of February 9th, she lost control of her car and rammed into a big snowbank on the side of the road. Mm-hmm. Several people witnessed this. There are houses along this road. Several okay. people hear the crash, come out of their doors to see what's happened, witnessed her getting out of the car, being fine physically, no blood. Uh-huh. They don't see any blood. She was talking clearly. So it was a minor accident. It was a minor accident. Uh, pictures of the vehicle shows a little crunch on the front, like driver's side. Uh-huh. Nothing big. Okay. The car was drivable. And so a bus driver who lived just down the road happened to be driving home and saw the accident and stopped. Mm-hmm. And told her, stay right there. We'll get 911. We'll call the police. And okay, she yeah. was very adamant about, no, do not call the police. I've called AAA. Okay. Okay, he just says, okay, and goes back to his house. He knows that she's probably telling a lie because North Haverville in that area is known for having no cell service. Okay, so she probably could There's no way that she could have called out if she had a cellular phone. And there's no way she could have walked to a house in that amount of time to get help. And so he decides to take it upon himself to call 911 Mm -hmm. because he's worried about her being out there by herself. It's getting dark at this point. It was like 7.15. Mm-hmm. And so he goes and he calls 911. And he walks back outside of his house. He can see her car from his driveway where mm-hmm. she's crashed. He gets out of his bus, goes in his house, calls 911, walks back out. And within that 10-minute window, she is gone. So she just completely Completely vanished. In 10 minutes. In 10 minutes. On a lonely road that doesn't get cell service. That has people around that has seen that she's wrecked. Okay. Not a lot of traffic. This is not not a widely used road. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very rural area. Lots of wooded area, trees, things like that. She's just gone. And so the police get there. I think they said that it took them like 19 minutes to get there. Not a bad response time. But if she's on foot, she wouldn't get very far. If she's on foot, they should have been able to find her. Right. You know, within that time. So, they found her car locked. All of her possessions were in it. Her backpack that had everything in it. The directions to Burlington was Mm -hmm. in it. The wine was there. And she was gone. Mm -hmm. There's no footprints in the snow. I mean, because it had snowed quite a bit. Yeah. She ran into a snowbank, so we're talking about inches and inches of snow. This is but February. No this is February in Massachusetts. The average like high is like thirty four. Yeah. It's snow. So it's really cold out. It's very cold. There's snow. There there's snow and she was in jeans and a coat, but not like winter gear. Yeah. Like, just a coat. Right. So she's not getting super far yeah. by herself. And so there was no footprints. They have no idea. 
Mm-hmm. And it has been 16 years since this has happened. Almost 16 years. Coming up on 16 years. They have no leads. They have nothing. So nobody's ever heard from her? No social media? There has no. Been no, there's been no social media. There's been no activity in her bank. Her dad even went as far as to put money in her bank account to see if she would use it because the bank had been depleted. Right. It has been untouched. There has been no contact with family. There has been no reaching out on social media. Despite the fact that you can Google her name and come up with several sites dedicated to finding her. Yeah. Um, widely publicized, very uh, prominent on television, on newscasts, mm-hmm. her dad pleading for her return. They were very close to each other. Okay, so she was close she to was her close family. To, she was close to at least her dad. I don't know about her other family, but she did, she did have a sister that I know about. Okay. And her dad, and she was close enough to her dad that she wrecked his car and he came up with money to get her a new one. Yeah. Very forgiving, very loving father. Right. You know. So you wouldn't just disappear and not you contact would think him. You would think that there would be no reason to just vanish and right. not be in contact with people that were trying to help you. Exactly. And so because of that, and because they have zero leads, they searched for her as much as they could that night. Mm-hmm. I think like two hours before it got too dark and it got too cold to have people out, you know, searching mm-hmm. and brought people back in. No footprints in the woods, no footprints in any kind of snow. So if she was walking, she had to be on the road. The dogs that they had brought in smelled her stuff and tracked her scent to the middle of the road and it was gone. Oh. So it was like she was there by the car. She walked a little ways down the road and then it just and disappeared. disappeared. And so, so she got picked up by somebody, whether she knew them or not, you know, mm-hmm. is the thing, you know. But however it was, she either got abducted by aliens and sucked out into the sky, <laughs> or she got picked up in a vehicle and they drove away. But whatever it was happened in the middle of the in road. In the middle of the road, yes. And so, there's so many conspiracy theories about this. Like I said, 16 years is a long time to not have any yeah. answers. And... Like I said, 2014, the age of the internet, how does somebody just go missing? Right. Like, how does somebody just disappear off the face of the earth unless you're going to pull a Gone Girl and you're going to try to do it? But she didn't even stay missing that long. Exactly. Exactly. So this had to be orchestrated or she was just the victim of some opportunistic person. Right. Who saw her crash and decided to abduct her. After she had after acted she weirdly. Had, after she had done some weird stuff and there was really a, a weird, like, why is she doing all these things, withdrawing all this money, going to a place that she didn't know anybody. Yeah. You know, things like that. There was some weird things that happened beforehand that lead you to believe that maybe it wasn't just somebody that abducted her. Right. Like I said, her dad is still searching. Her dad still is, you know, asking for funds and volunteers to try to find her. You type in her name, and there are so many Reddits and Uh so many websites. There have been books published about her. This disappearance is just eats at people because how can you just disappear? Right. And so we have some conspiracy theories. I'm not going to get into them a lot because, like I said, you can go down rabbit holes for hours on this. I imagine. One of the main conspiracy theories is she ran away. Okay. She, I mean... Let's look at the proof. She packed up all of her stuff. Uh-huh. She took all of her money. Mm-hmm. She had directions to a place that she would not normally go, but felt comfortable. That seems to me like a woman who's trying to get away from she her She had problems. her alcohol. She had her alcohol. 
It looks to me like a person who's trying to get away from her troubles. Right. Right? At least for a while. Maybe she did just want to take that week off, like yeah. she talked to her friends about. Or her teachers. Her teachers mm-hmm. about. You know, maybe that was what it was. Some people also theorize, because apparently this is like an underground secret thing that people don't know about, a planned escape to Canada. Okay. Another rabbit hole you can go down is Miss Murray's life. I mean, as straight-laced as she seemed, she was in the nursing program at UMass. Uh She had been accepted to West Point, so she had to have, you know, passed all these things and and done all the stuff to be accepted Mm -hmm. into that prestigious of a school. As much as she did that, there was the shady side. There was the DUI. There Uh was the credit card, the stolen credit card, and the stealing of the makeup. Uh Uh-huh. Also, they say that she had an abusive boyfriend. Okay. That she had several times told friends that he was hitting her, that he, you know, was not being very good to her, was being rough with her. Not that anybody could corroborate what she was saying, but she was speaking this to But she was saying that. And many believe that she had planned this and met with someone to take her to Canada Uh to get away. Because apparently there's like an underground railroad type of thing for abused women that they basically have, like, coyotes that take Uh them into Canada to get away from abusive relationships, them, their children, whoever needs to go. And I could see that, but you would think if she had a father that was that loving and caring, that she would go to her dad. That she could open up to him, because obviously he had money to spare. Right. He could help her with that. That's what I'm thinking. They say that, you know, the possibility that she was trying to get away from him, they also said that there was a guy who wrote a book about her. Uh-huh. His name was James Renner, and he wrote this book about how it drove him crazy. Like, it drove him to the point of madness trying to figure this out. And he talked to her friends and her family, and he really did his investigative things. He allegedly got this email from somebody, rumored to be in her inner circle, uh-huh. that said that she moved to Quebec for protection. Okay. Okay. The only problem I find with this is if you're emailing an investigative reporter, why don't you tell her family and make their misery go away? Exactly. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you're comfortable telling one person who's going to write about it and post it in the media, Uh why would you not go to their family directly? Exactly. Right? And so, you know, there's problems with that, and it could just be these people that want to interject themselves into the investigation and want to be a part of this, you know. It was anonymous. Uh So you don't really know where it was an untraceable email address. So you don't really know what, you know, these people were thinking or where these, this was actually coming from. Right. Um, another part of that rabbit hole is that she was pregnant. Okay. And that her boyfriend was abusive and to save her unborn child, she was going to go away. So again, why not go to family? Exactly. Also known she was Pretty much easy for you to say she had an alcohol problem. Uh Uh-huh. DUIs, the amount of alcohol she bought before she left. If she was pregnant, why would she still be drinking? Exactly. Especially being a nursing student and knowing. And she had actually Googled drinking while pregnant on her computer. And, I mean, fetal alcohol syndrome comes up one of the first things and how it's terrible for you to do so. So, if she was a nursing student, why would she... Put her baby in jeopardy if she was indeed pregnant. Nobody yeah. really knows. It's just speculation. And if she was so concerned that she was running away to Canada to, be to save an unborn baby, why would, why she, would she, she drink? Yeah, exactly. Why would she be drinking while she was running away from a guy? 
And drinking and driving or yeah. whatever was yeah. going on. And and that's another thing, you know, they didn't find the bottles of alcohol that she bought. They only found the box of wine. Okay. And, you know, she ran into a snowbank. Maybe she had been drinking. I yeah. mean, it had been not very long since the whole guardrail incident where she had wrecked her dad's car. You know? Right. Of course, a big one, death, that she uh-huh. she died. They believe that she was quickly abducted. Uh-huh. This person would have to be fast. We're talking, be right there behind her, know exactly what happened, somehow avoid suspicion, and get her in the car without any questions, uh-huh. any, you know. But if she had crashed and it's cold and she's there, on foot, she might have gotten in the car with anybody. It could, it could have been. It could have been that. Also, Renner received an email, another email. Uh-huh. This is according to him. I don't know if any of this is actually legitimate, but according to him... He received an email with the subject that says, stop looking. And there was nothing but coordinates. Latitude, longitude. Huh. So he looked it up, and it was a place on Mount Kerrigan called Desolation Trail. Volunteers went up there to look to see. They thought that it was possibly the location of her body. Right. Right. Went up there to see, but they had to turn back because of heavy snow, and I don't think anybody's ever been up there since. Okay. So, so there's a possibility her body's there, but if it was snowing that much and they couldn't get there, how, how did somebody, somebody get, there get with... her up there? Yeah. Unless they waited until spring or something like that. Yeah. But then you're talking about having a body for who knows how long and like, you know, it seems right. very strange and it would almost have to be planned, you know. Right. It doesn't seem like it would be a crime of passion or opportunity at that point. Unless it was the boyfriend. Unless it was was him. And the email came from an anagram of her name. It was just her name with the letters mixed up. Huh. So, it was not traceable. It was not traceable. Um, Also, her dad had gone on television and said, you know, we're going to get these dirt bags. I know these dirt bags took her. Well, apparently on YouTube, there was... A YouTube video that was posted by this guy. It was just this guy. And I this was after the email. By 1112 Dirtbag. Okay. Only, only video that was posted. This was in 2012 on February 8th of 2012. So near the anniversary of her disappearance. Uh-huh. The day before her anniversary of her disappearance in 2012. Uh, an account named 1112 Dirtbag posted a video of an anonymous man laughing in the shadows. And that's all it was. That's all. It. That's it. Like they said, Murray's father had referred to the kidnappers as dirt bags, and using that dirt bag, you know, one one twelve dirt bag, they say that kind of points to somebody taking responsibility for it, or somebody just being stupid. I think it's and taunting cruel. and yeah, taunting and, and being cruel because there's always those people yeah. that are willing to do that. You know. Oh wow. Um. And to that, her dad just said, you know, the case has to stay alive. If this is the way it has to be done, then sure, post this stuff, post this stupid stuff, keep her name in the news. Right. You know, let's keep looking. Anything that gets her name out there could be helpful. Yes. Like I said, there's all kinds of conspiracy theories, guys. Like, you can legitimately spend days on this, and nobody gets anywhere with it. Wow. I mean, it's just theory after theory after theory with no concrete evidence and no truth behind it. The truth is... Her scent was followed to the middle of the road, and it was gone. And she just and was she gone, was just gone, never to be heard from again. Exactly. And wow, uh, there was a house around the same area. It's about seven miles away. Uh huh. They just refer to it as the A-frame house. I don't know what led them there. There wasn't really any. Uh, 
I don't know, unless they were just searching places around the area. Um, they found blood in a closet. Oh. And it was human blood, but there wasn't enough to test DNA, so they did okay. not know. And cadaver dogs alerted on it, mm-hmm. but there was no, there wasn't enough evidence to say, okay, this is something big, yeah. this is anything at all. And I may be wrong, you know. but I think cadaver dogs, aren't they trained to hit on the scent of death and not just blood? Yes. Okay. Yes. So, I mean, something might have gone down in that closet, but we can't say but for sure don't that, know it that it was her. anything that it was her. Now, there is another house. This is a recent update, 2019, actually. Okay. In, in February. So, this is a long time after. A house around that same area had been bought by a new owner. The previous owner did not let them search the the house. Okay. So, that's, wasn't, that's kind a of little suspicious. weird. It's a little weird, but, like, they didn't let them search. They wouldn't let the dogs in their property and all this good stuff. But when they bought, this person bought their house, they said, sure, if you want to, come search. Well, the cadaver dogs hit in the basement. Uh Uh-huh. So people were getting excited. Okay, maybe this is the answer. Maybe this is the end. And so they searched this basement. They hit on the cadaver dogs. It's near the crash site. Like, I think, I want to say less than, like, two miles away. Okay. Um, they got permission to dig the basement floor up, and they found nothing. There's nothing there. Okay. They don't know why the cadaver dogs hit. There's no physical evidence that they can see. But, but there was a smell there. But something. The, there that. was a smell. There was lingering smell. There was something there that they hit on. And the people were just like, dig it up. You know, let's see if this is it. Let's see if this is what you're looking for. And it wasn't. And nothing was there. So, almost 16 years. We're coming up. This is January. Almost 16 years to the day, you know, in a, in a month or so. And there's no answers. There's absolutely nothing. Wow, that is just amazing. And you, like I said, in this day and age, how can you just go missing? Right. I mean, no body found, no body taking responsibility for it, other than the guy on YouTube, which can be anybody. Yeah. You know, no concrete evidence. You know, the people around the crash, like the people that lived around the crash, criticized the police and said that they took too long to start searching for her Uh because it was like, Almost three hours after they got the call that they sent out search parties, and then they were only out there for a couple hours. But it was in you the know. middle of the night, and it was cold. Exactly, yeah. It was it was after sunset, because she crashed at, like, 7.15. Yeah. So we're talking, it's after sunset, it's winter, you know, it's right. freezing out there. You know, and of course, a lot of people think that she went off in the woods, she may have hit her head and got confused... And went off in the woods and died of exposure. But there was no footprints. But there's no footprints. And none of the dogs alerted on her scent out, out in the woods at all. Just it was right to the, there, middle, of the, to the middle of the road. So that it's is a, so weird. And it's one of those things that's ongoing. Like I said, her family is still really keeping it alive yeah. and really trying to, you know, keep up the search. And like I said, if she's out there somewhere, all she has to do is Google her name and know that her family's looking for her. You know, unless there's something going on with that family that people aren't coming forward about, I don't know what else would be, you know, why she would just disappear. And at this point, if there is something going on with that family, it would still be good for her to contact police and say, hey, I'm alive. I'm okay. As I say, this police, is are what's going I mean, on. police are using resources. Police are still going out and searching. Volunteers are still searching. Yeah. Like, you have... People like me who can't get it out of their head, who right. are spending time on the internet going over it and over it and over it, trying to figure out what could possibly happen, you know, 
But if it is her disappearing, this is the greatest disappearance act of all time. Yeah. You know, we have found people, I mean, with the exception of, like, Jimmy Hoffa, <laughs> you know, we have found people that thought that they outsmarted, you know, the authorities right. and thought that they outsmarted their families. We found people who have been murdered and people tried to conceal their bodies in the most, like, craziest places. Like, yeah. we found those people, so why can't we find her? Yeah. You know? So if anybody knows anything, please, please any contact. Exactly. Any tips, um... Google her name. There are tip lines. There are 1-800 numbers. There are find find Maura Murray. There are, you know. Contact your local police. Exactly. If you have any kind of leads, any tips, if you hear people talking about her, because there have been people that have said that they've heard people talking about a girl that ran away or talking about, you know, a girl that just disappeared. If you hear anything like that, Massachusetts, New Hampshire, Vermont, that kind of area. Contact your local authorities and let's see what we can do for this family because, I mean, this is just insane. Yeah, that would be horrifying. Yeah, and I mean, at this point, they assume she's died. Yeah. But let's bring her body home. Let's try to find, you know, if that's the case. Let's. Well, and you know, I have kids right around that age, and if something were to happen. Exactly. I mean, college age kids. I can't imagine. Exactly. So if you guys know anything or, or know anybody that knows anything or have heard anything, get online. Dig through the rabbit hole. See if you can maybe find the answer to it. You know, right. that's that my mystery. Awesome. That was really <laughs> interesting. Like unsolved mystery right there. Like, got the, the good theme song and everything. Yeah. It's it's one of those things that will keep you up at night. It really exactly. will. Exactly. You know? so, okay. Yeah. And if you guys stuck through us, all of <laughs> our you. coughing and crazy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Yeah. Please oh, come back next time. Yes, we will be better prepared. It'll only yes. get better. Like a fine wine. It only gets better with time. That's well, right. you know me and wine, so yes. hey. Yes. <laughs> okay, well, we will see you next time. time. Bye. Bye.